This is Will from Beijing, China, and welcome to this brand new and exciting episode of The Missing Piece. Pakistan's National Assembly on Monday elected a brand new prime minister, capping a stunning political reversal after Imran Khan was ousted in a no-confident vote over the weekend. For decades, that if you follow our show, that we you know we have been addressing this positive and also this healthful relationship between China and Pakistan, as since the pandemic changed the entire world, and China has been actively distributing the vaccines and also financial packages across the world. And needless to say, that we know the country of Pakistan has become one of the major recipients. For those resources, now it's such a surprising and a stunning political change that the prime minister right now is on the way to become the brand new leader for the country. But if I'm not mistaken, some major media call the current new minister good old friend of China, and the question that we need to ask: Does China need old friend? Or under globalization, the world needs to realize that actually new partners can play better than the previous one. So that's why today, ladies and gentlemen, it's my great honor to invite Dr. Kahoot. And again, if you follow our show, that you know that Dr. Kahoot is one of the knowledgeable and experienced expertise in this relationship between Pakistan and China. And he shared numerous in our episodes regarding this healthful economic relationship between the two countries, and most importantly, he shared with us today why this new minister actually is going to bring more messages to the country of China from this economic partnership, and also for more information. Dr. Kahoot, welcome back to the missing piece. My pleasure, Mr. Will. Now, Dr. Kahoot, again, as I mentioned in the intro, this is a short, but this is also very stunning message. And coming out from Pakistan, over the weekend, the country elected a brand new leader. Now, most of us that we really don't know the details behind this political election or behind this shift. So the first thing is, can you help us, or can you walk us through what actually took place over the weekend, and how come that the country that we're experiencing and we're witnessing today, so close to China, just elected this brand new prime minister? Yeah, as you know, that Pakistan is uh, one of the uh, well-functioned democracy in the world, and we have the parliamentary. Uh, like the democratic system in our country, so there was a, a vote of uh, no confidence motion uh, against the uh, former Prime Minister Imran Khan, and uh, so through that democratic transition, uh, Pakistan has elected a new Prime Minister whose name is uh, Sh uh, Mr. Sharif this weekend. So he is the twenty-third. Prime Minister of Pakistan, and historically, actually, he's not a new name in Pakistani po Pakistani politics. He's actually in Pakistani politics uh, since last uh, uh, thirty years, mm. and he, he has been the uh, chief minister of the uh, province of Punjab, which is the largest province of Pakistan, and he and he uh, he has been the chief minister of that province. 
for more than two times and mm. one term uh, considered of five years. So you can say that he has been the chief minister of the largest province of Pakistan for more than 15 years. Mm. So he is, you know, one of the most uh, seasoned politician in Pakistan and uh, a Democrat and uh, a very good friend of China. And he has been to China uh, more than, uh, you can say, uh, maybe 10 times mm. over all, like all of his uh, uh, 15 to 18 years of being in the government at, at provincial level. So this is the, f the first time that he has been elected at the federal level. And finally, now Mr. Sharif is the uh, Shahbaz Sharif to be to be very precise because earlier his his elder brother, Mr. Nawaz Sharif, was the three-time prime minister of Pakistan. Mm. So historically, this this family actually uh, they are in politics and they are ruling. You can say uh, Pakistan for you know more than uh, twenty years now. Well, Dr. Kahoot, you know, again, as I mentioned in the intro, and also you uh, briefly touched on, that this new prime minister actually, uh, if we can trace this relationship between him and China, we can bring this relationship back so many years ago. And again, based on the reports that we gather over the weekend and until uh, uh, this point, some media call the, uh, the new prime minister a good old friend of China. What does that mean, especially that we are paying attention to the word good old friend of China? Because, I mean, again, um, the Chinese leader I mean, took place in the year of 2012, you know, which is President Xi Jinping. But how many years that should we trace all the way back to understand this term good old friend? And what does that mean politically and also economically when we use this term today? Yeah, uh, to understand this term, uh, you must first look into the history of Pakistan-China relationship. You know, the primarily the uh, the economic cooperation between uh, Pakistan and China it uh, uh, got like increased, especially in the nineties. You know, nineteen ninety and onwards. You know, the pace of the economic cooperation in between these two countries. It actually got expedited in the, in that era. Well, that was the precise era, as I told you earlier, that in that era, this family, the Sharif family, uh, to to this family, the, the the current prime minister also belonged to. So this family started ru ruling actually in late eighties. Mm. First, the the province of Punjab, which is the largest province, which is actually by population two-third of whole of the population of Pakistan. Wow. So, yeah. So, from that time, and then in the uh, early 90s, the, his elder brother, the now prime minister, his elder brother, became the prime minister of Pakistan for like two times in that era. So, chi so Chinese friends actually know him very well. And, mm. and, and historically, during the era of this, this family's leadership in Pakistan, we saw the more and more Chinese projects being established in Pakistan, more, more and more cooperation with Pakistan. And frankly, uh, I must tell you one uh, like interesting thing. During the uh, the prime minister term of his elder brother, mm. I mean, the 
the elder brother of Nawab Prime Minister. So his name was Nawaz Sharif. So during his term, which was from 2013 to 2018, so during that term, the Nawab Prime Minister was the chief minister of our the province of Punjab. Wow. So in that term, actually, he he worked on the uh, like with the cooperation with the as you must have heard China Pakistan Economic Corridor. So he personally was spearheading this CPEC initiative in the province of Punjab. Mm. So during that, so during so during his uh, uh, time period from 2013 to, eight, to 2018, his speed of working on those projects was phenomenal. Mm. So during that era, uh, because his name is Shah, his Shahbaz, his first name, so the Chinese media reported him in that time that these projects in Pakistan have been completed with the Shahbaz speed, mm. right? With the Shahbaz speed. Right. So Chinese friends, the Chinese authorities, you know, they always praise him a lot because he worked, you know, more than 18 hours a day. And, uh, you know, he's so he's so professional and uh, he has uh, stated in, in his various uh, interviews that cooperation, economic, cooperation with China is his first priority. Mm. And uh, so that's why, so that's why, uh, you know, he has been quoted in the Chinese circles as uh, the, one of the best friends of China overseas. Dr. Kahoot, you know, as we are celebrating this new prime minister, but meanwhile, I also want to bring something to your attention as well. As the whole prime minister is getting ready to step into this new position, and again, for many countries, specifically for China and any other countries in Asia, they're looking forward to this uh, uh, dialogue, or they're looking forward, forward to this strategic partnership. But meanwhile, the supporters from the previous prime minister were holding this boycott, or were holding this protest and rally towards this new election. Again, Dr. Kahoot, we know that for every single country, political election is very much different. And also the political atmosphere is very different. So I want to get to the core to the question is, why do you think that some of the supporters for our previous prime minister are still not accepting this result? So in other words, why are they protesting? I mean, ultimately, this is a good thing for the country. Ultimately, this is something, it's a new chapter for the country. Why bother to hold a protest or why bother to boycott the result? What message do you think they're trying to accomplish or trying to achieve? Yeah, uh, because the previous government, which actually uh, ended just very recently, so that government was actually facing some very staunch opposition from you know the opposition parties. Mm. So actually, there is no political election yet. So they actually ousted him through the no confidence motion, which mm. is the very uh, you know important part of the parliamentary democracy, which the Pakistan is. So the so the anger or the anguish of the past leadership is, I think, very understandable because they think that they should have given a full chance mm. to complete their five years term. So in Pakistan, like one premier, the the, the one term is five years. So mm. their government was, uh, uh, you can say, ousted mm, through the vote of no confidence after three years and seven months. But, you know, uh, most of the things, like most of the times, people in our part of the world, they 
believe a lot on the conspiracy theories. Mm. And unfortunately, and unfortunately, you know, Pakistan's past, uh, we have been the part of uh, the war in in Afghanistan historically, because uh, we have been the front line, you know, ally state of uh, the United States. Mm. And uh, first, uh, you know, we were the part of the, uh, you know, war or whatever you can say in, Af- in Afghanistan when the Russia was there and later on with the with the Taliban. So historically, our people has this this conspiracy biased against the United States. So every time when there is some unusual event happen in Pakistan, so our people try to link it, you know, some sort of conspiracy theory that maybe the Western uh, Imperial Forces or the U.S. and you know, may, maybe they are behind them. So the so the similarly, uh, the former Prime Minister of uh, Pakistan, Mr. Khan, when he was ousted to the vote of no confidence. So he and most of his followers, they raised the same slogan, you know, that uh, the, the United States is against uh, and he's behind this regime change in Pakistan. Mm. So actually, that's why that's why they are, you know, they are like opposing this whole regime shift. So, well, this is part of this is a part and parcel of the parliamentary democracy that you have the opposition, you have the 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 trigger benches so i so i must uh, say that it's part of the uh p- the political process mm. dr kahoot i want to bring up the next topic is we all know that again previously that when you participate our episodes and everyone is familiar that you are the expert on economic corridor i mean this is a one of the major projects that between China and Pakistan, and also, of course, that involve a lot more countries, you know, similar as Belt and Road Initiative. Again, looking ahead, we want to know that how this brand new prime minister is going to continue to reinforce the project the, of the economic corridor and also a corridor. And also, how do you think that this brand new prime minister is going to work closely with China under Belt and Road Initiative? Now, keep in mind that not too long ago, the foreign minister of China just paid a visit to a lot more countries in the Middle East, and he actually met up with the representative in Pakistan. Now, again, very soon, the whole government just got changed. So from your perspective, under this new administration, or under this new leader, how do you think the economic corridor or the Belt and Road Initiative Will would be continuing to make impact for both countries. Well, uh, you see the China-Pakistan economic corridor or the the economic cooperation between China and Pakistan. So it's not a new phenomenon. It is very mm. very historical. The relationship of China and Pakistan, you know, they have their roots like history. You know, I mean, they are more than now, more than 70 years old, like, like both the countries. Mm. So so it's not a new phenomenon. So whosoever the regime is, you know, the projects are there and the pace of cooperation, yes, we can see that uh, uh, unfortunately in the last regime, the pace of cooperation was not as quick. But uh, before the last regime, that's the regime which was in 2013 to 2018 or from, 20, from 2008 to 2013, you know, in those regimes, we see that these projects, the, Chin- the Chinese projects in Pakistan, they actually, they were very, you know, speedy. Mm. So, 
the same mindset, the same political leadership, which was in 2013 to 2018, they are back now. So this is a very good thing uh, for the CPEC. And uh, by the way, the Chinese foreigner, the foreign minister, Mr. Mr. Wang Yi, he mm. was in Pakistan, like uh, maybe a month within the last month. That's right. You know, so he, so he was in Pakistan and he met with, you know, because Pakistan hosted the OIC uh, Council of Foreign Ministers meeting, mm. and which was the huge event, like more than 50 countries, Islamic countries, representatives was was were there. Also, the some of the observers countries, which were headed by the uh, Chinese uh, foreign foreign minister. So yeah, Pakistan uh, currently has now well positioned itself as a one of the best friend of China, especially in Asia. And uh, the best friend of China in South Asia, so we are hoping, you know, that the the, the both the scale and speed of these Chinese projects in Pakistan, they will pick up in this region. Doctor Kahoot, I want to um, ask you one more question before we move on to another topic. As we know that right now in China, and of course, you know, across the continent, this is something that everyone is talking about: the pandemic. And the pandemic, I mean, again, unsurprisingly hit Chinese cities this time, especially the city like Shanghai, which is very devastating. And people experienced not only this psychological lockdown, but also this physical lockdown. Again, some experts continue to, to make the point to say this time that could actually hurt or potentially can influence Chinese economic progress, you know, uh, directly or indirectly. So I want to know from your perspective, how do you see the lockdown in Shanghai right now? And do you think that uh, or how much influence this economic influence will actually have on China in a general sense? So in other words, do you think that this lockdown or, you know, this the, the comeback of the pandemic could actually bring something or, uh, yeah, can, can show us the negativity of the econ or the economy in China? What is your perspective? Well, you see, unfortunately, this pandemic phenomenon, this is not only China thing, you know, it has hit very badly across the globe. Mm. I mean, you name any country and this pandemic has created havoc in that country, including Pakistan as well. Well, China, you know, the impact of China, uh, the, sorry, the impact of pandemic on the Chinese economy, I think uh, it has, uh, you know, a lot more devastating effect because historically China has been the factory of the world. Mm. China is producing, you know, you name any product in the world, China is producing it, producing. And, uh, you know, you name the Apple, Ford, Tesla, like any big company, so their manufacturing and their plants are in China. So the impact of pandemic on the Chinese uh, economy through these manufacturing hubs, I mean, so they are there, you know, nobody can say that. Nobody can avoid these these losses, actually. Talking specifically about this uh, Shanghai, you know, uh, because Shanghai is the financial capital of, of Asia, like after Hong Kong, you can say that. Mm. So uh, I must say, so if we uh, keep in view our, you know, eye on the pandemic and after effects in Wuhan, we see that Chinese economy rebound 
re- rebounded, you know, exceptionally well. Hmm. So being a student of economics, I believe that in the short run, maybe we see some slow economic uh, rate of growth. Hmm. We may say that we may see some of like the unemployment. We may see that decrease in the uh, some of the exports of the manufacturing goods. We may see the, you know, uh, the devastating impacts on the shipping lines. But in the long run, you know, keeping in view the rebounding uh, capacity of the Chinese economy and the resilience of the common people here. So I'm not uh, very, you know, pessimistic about it. Mm. And soon, maybe uh, maybe in the first quarter of 2023, we'll start seeing that uh, this rebounding effect of uh, uh, the Chinese economy uh, economy will, uh, will be there because the very base of the Chinese economy, you know, it's not, uh, it's not very dependent on other countries. It is self-sufficient, mm. you know, in all of the basic commodities, you know. And uh, recently we have seen the, uh, in the field of renewable energies, mm. China is leading the world. So in the long run, I think that uh, uh, China will pick it up again. Dr. Kahoot, I want to move on to our next topic. Let's talk about something that the whole world has been watching closely, which is the war in Ukraine right now. Again, more than a month later, and Vladimir Putin has not shown any positive action or show any attitude that pulling the troops away from Ukraine. As a matter of fact, you know, rumor has it that he's more likely going to implement more strategies or more political influence to the country of Ukraine. Now, we know that how brutal and how devastating the war could be. But meanwhile, from the Ukrainian side, the current leader of Ukraine, uh, Zelensky, has been actively asking support and help across the world. And just based on the report came out this morning, Zelensky actually asked the South Koreans, you know, the South Korean government to support them, you know, by resources or possible military equipment and stuff. And I'm sure that China is on the list and, you know, again, Pakistan, any other countries. So Dr. Kahoot, from your perspective, how do you think that the countries such as Pakistan, such as India, such as South Korea, China, again, in general, should respond to the request from Zelensky? That's the first question. And the second question is, why do you think today, in the year of 2022, that we're still witnessing and experiencing such devastating war that no one has ever predicted at the first place? Yeah, you know, first of all, this is very unfortunate that uh, in this global, you know, pandemic, tough times, uh, the, this world is witnessing one of the uh, devastating war. Uh, I mean, it is not less than any full-scale war, mm. right, uh, in this uh, 21st century. So first of all, it is very unfortunate and uh, we all should, like, full, you know, without any doubt, you know, we all should condemn it. Hmm. The second thing, you know, uh, you, the first part of your question, you talk about the, uh, the appeal of uh, the Prime Minister Zelensky of the, the Ukraine. You know, he, so he has not appealed only to some specific country. Actually, he has appealed to the whole world, hmm. specifically the 
the European countries, uh, the United States, Canada, you know, and also the uh, China and also uh, Pakistan and, you know, all of these countries. So, uh, so this is a good approach because he didn't uh, went all in all by himself. He actually tried to incorporate the global scholarship, you know, mm. the global, the global intelligentsia, you know, to come forward and try to control the, uh, to the, the devastations, you know, which has been caused by this war. Second thing, you know, the migration, we have seen that, you know, virtually more than uh, 70% of their uh, non-male uh, population, like including kids, old people, uh, the women, the girls, you know, they have been migrated in mm. high, in large numbers to the neighboring countries. So this is also, you know, one of the, you know, you can say the positive thing that the world still, they have the, they have the empathy, you know, the European countries, they opened their borders, they incorporated the war-torn citizens of Ukraine. And, and also we have seen that, uh, that more than, more, uh, like, more, more than 80% of the countries at the United Nations, they have condemned this act of war of President uh, Vladimir Putin of Russia. So these are the tough times, you know, we have seen this, uh, the conflicts between Ukraine and Russia, they have like specifically in 2014, mm. when the Crimea, when the Crimea, which was, which was earlier the part of Ukraine, it was again That's annexed right. to the, the Russia. So this conflict, which has now been converted, unfortunately, to a full-scale war, the only way to control it and to stop it immediately is through the role of some of the big players of this world, including mm. China. Uh, U.S. has already, you know, I don't know what are they doing, but they have been failed in, you know, stopping or, you know, playing their part. Although they have played their role, you know, thousands of kilometers away in Afghanistan and in, and in Pakistan, God knows where, mm. but but in this case, they have done nothing. Mm. And yeah, and the second part of your question, I mean, you talk about war, mm. like why this war? Yeah. You see that, um, uh, uh, Mr. Will, the most important thing is the, in between the neighboring countries, is the mutual cooperation. So for the mutual cooperation, there should be some pacts, there should be some deals there should be some, you know, uh, uh, confidence-building measures, CBMs between the, the between the, the neighboring countries. In so, in the absence of all these confidence-building measures, you know, any country, you know, it is vulnerable towards any conflict. Mm. I mean, just take just take the example of you know uh, China and Russia. They are the bordering countries, but they are in very good terms because mm. they have. Uh, you know, very good relationship, very good relationship historically. And you take the example of China, Pakistan, they are the neighbors, they are very good, very good relationships. So, I mean, the only way to preempt the conflict, not talking about war, to preempt the conflict is the continuous engagement mm. between two, between two, two countries. And in the form of Belt and Road Initiative, 
we have seen that uh, China has given a platform to the global committee of nations to come forward and cooperate, cooperate with each other, not only for themselves, but for the well-being of their coming generations. Dr. Kahoot, I know you're very busy, and I have two more questions before letting you go. Now, let's talk about, again, uh, regarding this war in Ukraine. Not too long ago, I came, I came across one article. You know, to summarize the article in a nutshell, the writer believed that when we are dealing with Vladimir Putin today, it's similar as we're, we're playing with someone on a chessboard. So in other words, when you are playing chess with someone that, you know, number one, is so unpredictable. And number two, rules are rules, but sometimes rules can be unconventional. But last but not least, if you don't know the players well, and you are more likely to be trapped, or you're more likely to fall into trap, which is set up by the players. So Dr. Kahoot, from your perspective, would you agree that today, when we are dealing with someone like Vladimir Putin, when we are dealing with someone has such this unpredictable uh, 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 personality, how careful should we? And if we are being too careful, is it necessary? Or you think that today it's only the phase of what we are seeing today? You know, this world is not more unipolar, you know. Now this world has become multipolar. Gone are the days of the old Cold Wars, you know, mm. when this world was, you know, on the one side there was a US, on the other side there was a Russia, and then there are some uh, developing countries, they were the, called the non-aligned members of the nation, you know. Mm. Gone are the days. Today we are living in the world which has become multipolar. On one end, we have the U.S. On the other end, we have China, right? And uh, we also have Russia. We have this, this. And then there are so many blocks. You name it, you know. You have the uh, BRICS. You have SARC. You have uh, ASEAN. Mm. You have G20, G7. You know, numerous blocks of there. Then we have this new BRI countries block. I mean, 140 plus countries which have... Uh, which are the signatories of this China's uh, global and ambitious this BRI BRI initiative. So to preempt the war, I, as I have said uh, earlier, the only way to move forward is through the global cooperation. Hmm. You know, the only way forward is to sit on one table, bring all the stakeholders, have a dialogue, and to set the future pathways. Hmm. This is the only way. Because so, it, because in the war, you know, one party is the aggressor, and the other party is the aggrieved. Unfortunately, or the irony of the fact is, both of the parties think that they are on the right side. Mm -hmm. But guess what? Who is at the receiving end? The common people. Mm. So unfortunately, the aggressor never think about the common people. They always think about their own long-term or short-term you know, goals or gains. But but ultimately, war is a menace. War is a humiliation for the humanity, I must say. Mm. So this is the critical moment. I mean, you know, we have already crossed this uh, pandemic. That's right. And, uh, including China, many countries are still suffering from this pandemic. And to adding salt 
to the wound and then now this war. So I think this is a very bad thing. The only way to move forward is through the global dialogue and through more and more CBM, which is confidence-building measures. Mm. No other way at all. Dr. Kahoot, I want to end our conversation with one another major country that close to China, but um, has been on the back burner for the U.S. and also for the European countries for a while. It's the country of Afghanistan. You know, Dr. Kahoot, you, I mean, again, you know this more than I do, is China sees opportunities in Afghanistan, you know, not only politically, but also economically. As we mentioned before, the foreign minister, Wang Yi, actually, during his recent trip, he met up with a representative from Afghanistan, you know, from the government, acknowledged their presence. Now, such behavior can be, or I guess were, interpreted by the U.S. government as a threat. I mean, not just a threat to the U.S., but also the threat uh, politically to national, to international security, etc. I mean, I, I'm not going to go uh, into all the rentings from the U.S. government. But from your perspective, again, the last question I want you to comment on is, why do you think China is so interested in Afghanistan? And in return, how do you see those two countries are going to enhance their capabilities or enhance their economic partnership between those two countries. So again, I guess the universal question is, what is it in for China in order to consolidate or to uh, strengthen the relationship with the government of Afghanistan right now? Yeah. Uh, talking about in the perspective of this recent, uh, the great phenomena, which is the Belt and Road Initiative, I think that Afghanistan is one of the most important partner country of the China. Because through Afghanistan, uh, first of all, Afghanistan is a landlocked country itself. Mm. So it needs so it needs to cooperate with some country which has ports, right? So in this whole region, which country has a lot of ports, large number of ports? Of course, China, mm. right? So it is a win-win situation for both the Afghanistan and China. So one way they have through Afghanistan, China can get access to the Central Asian uh, countries. And through, like, using Afghanistan, the Central Asian countries can, uh, you know, access the Chinese markets. So it's a win-win situation for both of the countries. Talking about the U.S., you know, unfortunately, we have seen that U.S. has this habit of poking its nose in someone else's affairs. Mm-hmm. You know, unfortunately. Yeah. So this time, too, they are doing this. They have forgotten that uh, they have fought a long war of 20 years in, in Afghanistan along with their NATO allies. And uh, they have achieved nothing, right? So virtually, they have they have left Afghanistan over a midnight, you know, leaving behind the chaos, the utter poverty, the total instability, the devastation, the hunger, joblessness, inflation. You name any economic fallout, Afghanistan is facing that, mm. right? So this is the the time that Afghanistan needs more and more building partners, partners in peace, mm. you know. Who better than the China itself? So if you remember last year, the Afghanistan, uh, the Afghanistan, you know, people who are now in government, but before that, they visit uh, Tianjin and they had a dialogue with the Chinese authorities and they have got some some settlements. 
And after that, you know, there's a continuous engagement of Afghanistan with China. And very recently in uh, uh, Anhui mm. province, mm. China hosted Russia, Afghanistan, Pakistan, you know, all the neighboring countries of, of Afghanistan. China, Chinese foreign, foreign minister, Mr. Wang Yi, actually hosted all the foreign ministers there. So all of these engaging like activities of China with the neighboring countries of Afghanistan, I mean, this is the only thing, as I said earlier, the global engagement, the confidence-building players, the conversation, the, del- the dialogue, this is the only way forward. And in, the, and in this way, we can hope for the more 